This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. You always muscle in. <laughs> you had to voice something like mine. What do you do to me? Look at all these people. Always you're here. I don't mind your being here, but you get the questions. You're a bully. That was former Senate Majority and Minority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada sparring with Roll Call's own Niels Lesniewski. Uh, the two of them got to know each other quite well in the course of uh, Senator Reid's time and Niels's time covering the Senate. And Niels just recently returned from Nevada where he spoke with the now retired but not quite retired uh, Harry Reid. Niels, welcome. It's good to be here. So the this this interaction also, Niels, that you had with with Senator Reid. I mean, at one point, it's not even an isolated incident, even with you or with other reporters. Uh, he's seventy nine now. He was in his mid seventies when a lot of the sort of more infamous interactions with the press, including you, where he would say things along the lines of "That's a dumb question," or you know, "Next," or "You're a bully," or things like that. That's right. My, my favorite was actually not one involving me. It was the time our former colleague Steve Dennis of Bloomberg News was confronted with Reed called, saying that his question was a clown question, bro. And it was re- this was really always just Reed's personality. It was never particularly personal. Uh, in some ways, it may have been a sign that he liked you if he was actually sparring with you rather than ignoring you because that was always the alternative. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I do feel like um, even though somebody coming in from the outside would say like whoa that's no way for a U.S. senator to to behave I actually am, I take some comfort that Reed would be a little starchy and a little uh, rough around the edges and and still get his job done by the way right so let's talk a little bit about your trip you were in Nevada recently over the Independence Day recess why did you go. It's because it is, in fact, the most diverse of the first batch of states in the democratic process. Uh, People don't always realize, I've even had people around the office here not know, that Nevada actually comes ahead of South Carolina Mm -hmm. on the democratic uh, presidential calendar. And so we knew that the uh, state would be attracting some White House hopefuls, but it turned out that we had uh, several senators in town, including a Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders were all in Nevada the week that I was out there. And it's always an interesting place to go. Uh, They have one really big 4th of July parade at an event called the Dambree because it's in the town, Boulder City, uh, which was constructed for the purposes of supporting the construction of the Hoover Dam. Yep. Uh, So that— Well, well, as a Westerner. (laughs) That was the reason we were out there and— Obviously, we tried uh, and successfully got some time with uh, Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader, while we were there. And uh, we'll, we'll get uh, back to the 2020 folks that, that you encountered. But let's talk about your interview with, with Senator Reid. Senator Reid retired in 2016. He left behind quite a legacy, not just in the Senate, but in, in Nevada. Sure. Uh, he has been battling cancer and some other ailments. Of course, there was the famous or infamous incident with an exercise band that caused a a severe eye injury uh, back when he was in the Senate that 
was one of the precipitating factors, I think, that led him to actually announce his retirement. Mm -hmm. But he seemed uh, in good spirits and, and honestly looked better than I had expected him to be when I was out there. But he did talk for a while uh, at the start of the interview about his condition. Yeah, we've got a little clip on that. I had a little cancer in my pancreas. Had the surgery that worked out fine. I mean, as well as good. But what hurt me was chemo. It messed up my back. My damaged five of my vertebrae. So I had to have surgery at once on two vertebrae and then once on three of them. So my mobility is not very good. My posture is not worth the damn. But I'm getting better. I'm seeing a therapist now several times a week, and I'm walking with a cane now. i got my cane here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a wheelchair. And when I go around, a lot of people have to use that. But I'm doing okay. Very good. No need, no need to complain. And to set the stage a little bit more, too, when, when Senator Reid was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer last year, uh, so he's been is hosting people uh, intermittently since then and undergoing cancer treatment at the same time. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, he has an office uh, in the Bellagio. So this is the craziest experience <laughs> uh, in terms of even conducting an interview because the Bellagio, of course, with its famous fountain on the Las Vegas Strip, mm -hmm. an MGM property, he has uh, an office that's not that far from the casino floor through a set of double doors that you have to navigate past security and find an unmarked door uh, to go into to find <laughs> so Vegas uh, to find the executive <laughs> office suite that includes uh, Senator Reid's office uh, out there, uh, and his office is there in part because he is working on uh, one of his semi-retirement projects. The, that he is uh, the co-chair of an MGM UNLV Public Policy Institute with. John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House of Representatives. <laughs> and a Republican. And somebody who, if you were looking for the, the yin to Reed's yang, uh, it would be Boehner. Uh, this is a gregarious, jovial, smoker, wine drinker, backslapping politician in Boehner. And then you have Reed, who is – he's a little surly. Uh, he's incredibly sarcastic. But they get along as, as professionals. Uh, the, and, and they did – you know, that's the dirty little secret, right, is that they respected each other when they were, you know, running their respective chambers as well. That's right. So it's sort of as odd of a pairing as it sounds like it is more of a natural pairing than one might expect. And also, uh, before we get to you know a little bit more about the interview itself, I mean this this casino scene that you have uh, given us, like right out of the it could, it could be Martin Scorsese's uh, sequel to uh, Casino. I mean, Reed's ties to the the culture of Las Vegas, if you will, go back very far. I mean, he was the uh, gaming commissioner in Las Vegas in, in the 70s. He stood up to the mob. He even has a, a sort of a, a, a composite character that's modeled after him in the movie Casino. This, of course, is his movie about mob rule in, in Vegas in the 70s. You know, he was a, a target of, of a mob assassination at one point. I mean, he's a tough bird, and yet he finds himself like, you know, he's in the casinos, and, and he's a Mormon. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He, I, I don't think he gambles either, but this is where he feels at home. And, and he was so happy, I, I think, talking to him to be back 
and back living in he's living in Henderson now, which is suburban Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, and working in the offices in Las Vegas. Frankly, to be honest with you, I don't miss it that much. I love my home and my family and my friends here. And it, he feels right at home there, and, and he said that he was happy to be back after basically being away from his friends uh, for decades, uh, dating back to his time as a Capitol Police officer. Yes. Yeah, the, one of the uh, fun facts about Reed that he was a Capitol Police officer while he was putting himself through law school at George Washington University here in Washington, D.C. I think most people don't didn't see beyond that, beyond his sort of, you know, kind of relative quiet surliness on the on the Senate floor at times. For, for sure. And, and, you know, talking to him, he is still uh, very much in, engaged in all matters of policy and politics. And sometimes there are, there are people who, when they are former senators, there are some who are still worth talking to. There are some who, frankly, probably aren't still worth talking to. But Reid, for instance, uh, has views on the way the Senate should be working going forward, and he basically has tossed in the towel on the Senate ever returning to its heyday, that, that he's, he's, he's not it won't really be a surprise that he, he doesn't have a Pollyanna sort of sense about restoring the Senate to its past glory. And, and, you, and you have talked about that in, in the Bellagio, in his Bellagio office, about how the Senate got here. Uh, I mean, he, he certainly shoulders some of the blame, but he also was, was a combatant. So let's listen to a, 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 some of your conversation there about that. I'm very, very disappointed what the Republicans, what they've done to the Senate. Senate is not the institution it used to be. It, uh, when I served in the Senate, it started going bad my last uh, couple of years, but filibusters were rare. Now you don't even have filibusters. You just say, I'm going to filibuster and that's the end of it. So what's ha- going to happen, and I had Bill Douster work for me for years, write an article for the New York University Law Review that basically what we said in that article is that it's just a question not if, it's a question of when the Senate's going to become just like the House, and it's going to become just like the House, just a question of time, and a real quick time, because um, the Senate is going to get rid of the filibuster totally and just have it that majority rules. That's not a bad idea. Now, is that going to ruin the Senate? No. Certainly compared to what it is now, it'll be great. Because in the past, the senators worked on collegiality. They only did a filibuster if you felt it was something unusual, untoward. I did one as a freshman dealing with nuclear waste. Nobody criticized me for that because that was an issue for Nevada. But now the uh, filibuster as to what time of the day it is, it's, uh, and it's going to go away. Senate's going to become just like the House. And it's going to be just fine. I also want to get back to this. I mean, this idea that he's retired slash not retired, uh, <laughs> semi-retired, as, as you call it. And why Harry Reid is still important. Reid, as you said, is he is certainly not the same sort of mobile force uh, as, as he was when he was running uh, the Democratic caucus in the Senate. But his imprints are all over the structure of the Nevada Democratic Party. In 2016, even as he was exiting the stage, he was sort of greasing the skids 
for people who are are serving in in the Senate now, uh, which does not look very much like it was when he was elected in in 1986. And his people are active in the way that the you know the, the politics is conducted in Nevada. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, he he has built an infrastructure that has sustained beyond his time in the Senate. There were always initial questions. Will this infrastructure last uh, once Senator Reid exits the Senate? And basically, there are no longer people who have to be nice to him because he's the Senate majority or minority leader. But it has sustained. They basically ran the table in in 2018, which was a both had a Senate race uh, where they knocked out the incumbent Republican Senator Dean Heller with Jackie Rosen, who was someone who. Uh, had been sort of a an unexpected candidate for the House of Representatives just two years before, but was someone who was recruited by Reed for the House. And then there was uh, they won the governor's mansion. They have majorities in the state House and the state Senate. and it's it's sort of been the first time in a long time that Nevada has been, this blue. This blue. And also uh, one – I'd also note that the Nevada legislature is – both chambers are majority uh, female. That's right. The only place uh, in the country uh, where that's true. Uh, but one of the things in, in talking to Reed about politics uh, and I think we have this clip was his warning that Nevada is not as blue as you think uh, and that the fact that he warns everyone – about what might come in 2020. A lot of things Trump does is concerning to a lot of people in Nevada, but he has a lot of fans too. So as I've told all my friends who are running for president, don't take him for granted. Don't think that he's going to be a pushover. This idea too that you almost never stop organizing. I mean, you know, 2016, 2018, Nevada was very good for Democrats, and I would argue, and I, th- you know, I think that there's a lot of evidence there, uh, at, you know, that I can see through your reporting as well, that Harry Reid bears a lot of the credit for making sure that Democrats got out to vote, that the culinary union, the very powerful union in in Vegas, was organized and getting out for not just Hillary Clinton in 2016, but Jackie Rosen in 2018, Catherine Cortez Masto, uh, who took Reid's uh, Senate seat. And a, and a host of other Democratic candidates. But Reid seems to understand better than almost any political strategist out there, uh, with the exception of maybe a, two or three other people in, in Nevada, like John Ralston, the journalist, that Nevada changes a lot. People move there a lot. The calculus changes a lot. And things are never safe. And that's why you have to keep organizing as a political operative. That's right. And, and, and he talked to us a little bit about the new – uh, caucus process. There's going to be early caucusing. Uh, there's going to be caucus by phone if you're uh, someone who's working um, on on the day of the caucus. They're trying to do everything they can to continue to increase uh, democratic engagement. And one of the other things that, and I think we have uh, as well from the interview, was his ability has not at all diminished to rattle off statistics and facts and everything you could ever want to know about the political organization in in Nevada going forward. Actually, it started in my election, frankly, to show the strength of the Hispanic uh, vote. Um, I wouldn't have been elected, but for the uh, Hispanic vote. 
and it's changed even more since then. We now have 30% of the people in Nevada are Hispanic, 9% are Asian American, 9% are African American. So Nevada's changed dramatically. Again, the, the interesting sort of thing here, too, is that he has organized and or helped organize Nevada almost to a T. But the one thing that he didn't, you know, have control over is is this like is the way the Senate is going. Right. I mean, I mean, he, he's not alone in saying that the Senate is going in a, in a direction that is not comfortable for a lot of institutionalists. Um, but it's just. It's, it's almost this irony that he could help organize a state as complicated and weird as Nevada, but he couldn't figure out ultimately the, to halt the way that the Senate was going, which nobody seems to be very happy with right now. So in some ways it points to the ability of Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, now to navigate the difficulties that in a way that I didn't expect him to be able to. Maybe I didn't expect Reid to be able to. But McConnell's persistence with the Trump White House of doing basically nothing but nominations that we've talked about previously on this podcast mm -hmm. is it's the it's sort of the the inevitable reality of, of what you were just saying about about Reid's inability, uh, despite his political brilliance, to figure out uh, a better way forward. I was wondering if Reed had an opinion about any of these people coming to his state to visit. Well, uh, we, we talked to Reed uh, a little bit about his reflections on the uh, first round of the oh, the debate, debate, yeah, the, right. the two-parter, the, the two-parter, uh, which he said he candidates. cleared his schedule for. <laughs> uh, and, and so we do have some observations from Reed uh, on the debates. I'm a political junkie, to say the least. And I made sure, well ahead of time, I cleared tonight's to watch the debates. I would hope that come three and a half weeks or so from now, that maybe there won't many, be as many participants. I think we'd have a much better debate if there weren't 10 people each night. Be better if there were eight each night. Anything to narrow the field a little bit. Well, I'm glad somebody watched uh, all, all the entire uh, debate for him. It was quite a spectacle. Again, he does say uh, he's reading uh, and watching British television. British television. All right. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's just watching the prime minister's questions would be enough, I think, to to keep anybody entertained. Yeah. And speaking of reading, he talked a little bit about you know in his interest in the Koran, which was uh, kind of surprising. I thought. That's right. And, and one of the things he wanted to talk about was the next event that he's doing as part of his uh, work with UNLV and MGM. Uh, and they are setting up an event on uh, Islam in America for the end of September. Uh, but it was really interesting to hear him talk a little bit about how it was that he decided that this was an event he wanted to put on. I've been interested in uh, Islam because of two Men, they're like brothers to me. I met them. They were Boulder City, from Boulder City originally. They're physicians. They're both practicing devout Muslims. Uh, and they're such fine, fine men. They have wonderful families. And uh, because of them, I read the Koran, read it. That's all I did. I'm not an expert on it. I mean, I did my own interview with Reed a couple of years back before he left. It was just about boxing. Uh, and, and, you know, you could, you could zero in on all these different aspects of his life, each of one taken in 
you know, individually would be interesting on their own. But when you compile it all together as one person's life, it's just kind of, it's amazing, like how it all fits together, even though it's kind of weird. You would never have expected that a gaming commissioner whose wife was almost blown up by the mob, had she not checked a car for a car bomb, she probably would have been, ends up having an office in the Bellagio decades later after a career in the Senate. <laughs> Well, Niels, thank you so much for your reporting. The conversation with Reed is great. Um, I'm really glad that we have uh, we have this because it's uh, you know it's it's a it's a testament to to your long time reporting on it, and a, it's a it's a rich sort of uh, part of the record now. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us. 